is actually the first Sunday of Lent, if you didn't know that. And it's historically the 40 days that lead up, just a time of preparation for, to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection here in, in several weeks. Um, it's a time of repentance. It's a time where Christians, we recognize our need for forgiveness, kind of anew, uh, for grace. If you were here with us for Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, that was uh, a moment to reflect on our own mortality. That life is short, as the psalm says, it's, it's fleeting. Or as James says, your life is a mist. It's gone. Uh, we're only given so much time. And so in terms of beginning this series and talking about something that really matters to all of us, uh, we thought about beginning where basically where we all experience our life and how short it is. And where that is is our bodies, like us, and our health. And so I've noticed in church there's often an emphasis on spiritual health. Sometimes we talk about relational health. Maybe even we'll talk about emotional health. I've heard of churches doing like 10 weeks on emotional health before. I've heard that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> but... Often, least commonly addressed is actually our, our physical health. I think the general consensus seems to be that hopefully they cover that with like the youth group. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't have premarital sex. Uh, so this is why. And so, I mean, you don't want to make God smoke a cigarette, do you? <laughs> that was my impression of like a, a heavy-handed youth pastor. Uh, but then, as adults, we kind of, we don't talk about as much anymore, health, at least in the church. And it's, what's interesting about that to me is in a lot of ways, we hear about it everywhere else. In a lot of ways, our culture is obsessed with health. Um, everywhere we turn, it's like oftentimes all we hear about. And ironically, in some ways, we're like the least healthy people, like as a country compared to other uh, countries. But there's always some new supplement or workout program or new diet or new superfood or new thing you got to do or not do in order to feel better or sleep better or live longer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it feels like it's always changing, right? It used to be fat was bad and, now, and then it was sugar's bad and then carbs are bad and then it all comes full circle, and not too long ago, fitness nuts were talking about putting like a whole stick of butter in their coffee because good fats are good, whatever. There's whole foods, primitive foods, organic food, gluten-free food. There's natural medicine. There's essential oil. You just need this type of yoga, uh, this new mushroom coffee, uh, this new elective procedure. I mean, words like... You know, inflammation is the, is the thing, or it's serotonin, or, or dopamine, or intermittent fasting, or whatever it is. Uh, lately, I keep seeing everyone doing these ice baths, um, and I'm just saying, in a couple years, we'll be back to saunas, or whatever, or whatever temperature it was when civilization began, right? And it's just, it's hard to keep up with all of it. Um, I read online that Americans spend roughly $35 billion a year on vitamins, minerals, botanicals, and various other substances that are touted as health-giving, but 
and to say it most charitably, have varying results. Um, and I, I don't want to, I'm just making observations. And I think one thing that we could observe without assigning values to these things, if we were just to step back, is it seems like, kind of seems like we're looking for some kind of magic formula, some kind of silver bullet shortcut. Uh, take this pill, try this supplement, this lotion, do this one thing, and you'll be healthier, you'll look younger, you'll get healed, you'll have more energy, or whatever. And... I don't know if you've noticed this, but the marketers are getting really, really good. I saw an ad the other day on Instagram, and it just pulled me right in. It was for a face lotion, get this, designed specifically for men in their 40s. And now that I say that out loud, that does sound suspicious, right? <laughs> but the guys, like, they look, they look good, and the before and after was really, really compelling, and I bought it. I bought it, is my point. So. Look, there's, there's even, in some ways, there's Christian versions of this. Um, you know, this tendency we have to find a magic formula. Well, I'll tell you what's really powerful. When you take that tendency and then you spiritualize it, put those two things together... Um, several diets have been popular over the, the past several years. The Daniel Fast. Then there was this one, uh, the Maker's Diet. To me, that title seems like a little bit of an overreach, but I don't know. Um, I, and I haven't read any of these, and I guarantee you, I'm being serious, I guarantee you there's some good stuff in here. Uh, in fact, I started reading this on Amazon just to actually to make fun of it, and then I started getting like sucked into it, and I was like, shoot. This is what I've been missing. Um, but I will say this. The Bible doesn't do typically what we want it to do in this area, and that is give us a magic formula. Uh, for every proof text, you know, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, every tree, they will be yours for food. So every proof text for vegetarianism or veganism, rather, for every one of those we have, then we have great advice like this. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and frequent illness. Which, again, depending how you read that. Um, but when's the last time your doctor told you to stop drinking so much water and to start the day off with wine, right? And again, I, I just want to be clear. I'm sure some of what I've mentioned, both the Christianized version and the secular version, is probably helpful. I'm sure it actually works or makes some kind of a difference. And so I just, I don't want you to be nervous. Is Matt going to like make fun of my thing? Uh, I'm not. And I get it. Who doesn't want to improve their quality of life or feel better or be more active or avoid disease or live longer or fight aging or get relief or whatever? I mean, all that sounds really good. I'm all for solutions and relief and wholeness. And we all want energy for the people and the things that we love. And it seems reasonable to me that the things that we put into our bodies and how we treat them has some direct implications, consequence, good or bad. Where I think, and we're going to get to scripture in a second here, but where I think that biblically speaking, our culture takes this a little too far, it's a couple different ways. For one thing, we very easily end up worshiping youth and beauty I don't know if you've noticed that our culture has an aversion to getting older, uh, to age, 
Um, we hope it doesn't happen to us. We don't want to think about it. The general cultural assumption seems to be that you have a time when you are relevant, when we want you around and we're willing to listen to what you have to say. But then your time is done. And we need you to move to like a mega retirement village in Florida and just disappear so that someone else, someone younger, can get the spotlight and have something to offer. So we end up worshiping youth. I mean, we, we want the fountain of youth, basically, uh, at any cost. As ridiculous as that myth or that legend seems, we're all kind of doing it. Um, I think health in our culture, just like anything else, can become an idol. I mean, for many, many people around us, our, our appearance, beauty, physique, however you describe it, it's like our God. And at its root is pride and vanity. It's a desire to control things that we're actually not meant to control. And at the end of the day, guess what happens when you worship an idol? <laughs> Any idol. It ends up enslaving you. It ends up dehumanizing you in the process because that's not what you were meant to worship. And so health, like anything else, can actually become a form of bondage. We end up chasing an unattainable standard. We realize, of course, that none of those influencers online, or back in my day I would have said people on the magazine covers, actually look like that in real life. And if they do, if they are kind of defying the odds in some way, then chances are they're spending outrageous amounts of money. Uh, quarterback Russell Wilson, he was on Jimmy Kimmel, and he reported that he spends more than a million dollars a year on his body, on his health, so that hopefully he can play until he's 45. I mean, I can't really even afford to, to shop at fresh time. So how's that going to work out for me? But we get, we get told very subtly, sometimes not so subtly, here's the standard. Now get to it. And it can lead to all kinds of guilt and all kinds of shame and, like I said, be dehumanizing in the process. What the Bible does do as a whole, again, the proof text thing only goes so far, is it does maintain this tension. On the one hand, yes, this actually is true and it applies to adults. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That we are meant to be good stewards of not just creation, but, but our bodies, our health. Do you realize that every purpose that God has for your life, every good thing that he wants you to experience, every purpose, whether it's work or family or ministry or making a difference, is fulfilled one way through you having a body. That is like the condition for everything else that happens. The truth is we don't just have bodies. We are bodies in many ways. I mean, we're more than that, of course, but we are embodied creatures. Our bodies are a gift from God. You only get one. So there's that, there's that mandate, there's that reminder, that command from Scripture to take care of it. Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. But the Bible doesn't let us go too far. Um, it doesn't let us move to idolatry. It doesn't let us worship our bodies or our health. It also doesn't let us live in denial, as if, if we do all of the right things, we can just keep on living healthily forever. Now, Scripture shows us when it comes to our bodies or our health, 
you know, there are things that we actually can't control. And one of them is our bodies are quite fragile. To be human is to be mortal. Scripture is, is actually quite clear on this, kind of blunt. You are going to die. It's not going to last forever. That what we ultimately need is not a pill or a program or whatever. What we ultimately need is resurrection, is what Scripture says. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about our physical bodies. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Uh, that treasure he's referring to is the message, the, the good news of Jesus. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Skip down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For Paul, uh, when he says that we're outwardly, that we are wasting away, um, he's probably not talking about getting crow's feet or not being able to play full court basketball anymore. Um, He's talking about, in the context of this passage and then throughout, actually, 2 Corinthians, the opposition, the difficulty, actually the persecution that he's facing, essentially for sharing the message of Jesus. But at the same time, Paul knows regular physical diminishment, pain, suffering. He writes in 2 Corinthians about the thorn in his flesh. Many people believe it's a physical ailment. In one of his letters, Paul says something like, See with what large letters I'm writing this. And most scholars believe it's, he's referring to some obvious diminishment or failure of his eyesight. So he's like, huh? You know, writing huge letters. I think what is relevant for us today is our bodies are, and this is a good reminder, jars of clay. It's fragile, temporal, um, imperfect. Stuff happens to our bodies that we can't control. For one thing, uh, we actually don't have a say in the body we get. Did you know that? We, we all have things about our bodies or our appearance that we would like to change. Uh, for me, it's, yeah, right, like I'm going to tell you guys that. Uh, <laughs> we're never going to be all that we want to be physically. Turns out genetics has a lot more to do with everything, it seems, than people want to acknowledge sometimes. Um, but Paul says, outwardly, we're wasting away. Our bodies are just kind of falling apart on us over time. Our health is one of those things that we tend to take for granted until something goes wrong or we don't have it. And suddenly it becomes the most important thing in the world. Um, even just the natural process of aging can make you appreciate your health, maybe in a, in a deeper way or a way you didn't before. Um, as we age, of course, we slow down. You guys will appreciate this. I bought shoes in the fall for the first time just for walking. 
That is hilarious. I was just cracking myself up. I'm going to walk in these shoes. <laughs> we have aches and we have pains. We wake up. You ever have this where you wake up with a new thing that you didn't have before? My daughter Claire on this past Monday, we were talking about, I had just her and what were we going to do today? And we were brainstorming and she's throwing out like the Defy Indy, the trampoline place. And we had a bunch of things and she's like, which one would you rule out? And I was like, I don't want to go to that trampoline place. I'll get hurt. So we can cross that. That was my fear, you know. I'm at the place in life where if there's an event, like a concert, that people are asking me to go to, I'll be like, uh, are there, are there going to be chairs there? I want to know if there's seating. Um, or you look at kids. You ever look at kids like jump off, like they jump off the stage sometimes? Or the way they just flop down on the floor and get back up and you go, if I did that, I would destroy myself. It hurts to look at. When you're young, typically you have your health, but not any money. <laughs> and when you're older, oftentimes you have money, but you give anything to have your health. Isn't that funny? Insurance actuaries have this down to a cold science. There is a time in your life when you can get a half a million dollar insurance policy for nothing, for like 50 cents a day. And then that same policy at another point in your life will cost you roughly, you can get it, but it, it'll cost you half a million dollars. And you can interpret that how you like. As we age, we begin to think more about our, our, our health and our mortality. And then if you're here and you've dealt with like a serious illness on top of just the natural aging process or a disease. You are brought face to face in a new way with your mortality. Perhaps your world was rocked with a diagnosis and everything was like there was before this and there's after this. You had the surgery, you had the treatment. Perhaps now your quality of life is really affected. Or maybe you had that odd experience of like feeling like your body was betraying you. Or you had the, the realization for the very first time, huh, I never felt like this before, but I'm actually, tra I'm kind of trapped in this thing. Yeah, it's an odd, unsettling feeling. Or you realize in a new way how fragile life is, or you have new physical limitations. You can't do some of the things you love. Or if you're here and you deal with chronic pain, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. And there's nothing like, chronic pain that will make you question your existence and everything. In the words of poet Christian Wyman, and I come back to this often, maybe you're here and you've gone through an experience where death leans over to sniff you. That's a good way of saying that, isn't it? That captures a lot. Speaking of wasting away outwardly, I mentioned this a while ago. But it's been now four years where my hand, my left hand is getting weaker and weaker and weaker and the muscles atrophying, atrophying, uh, and just going away. And I've kind of lost most function. I can still m mostly move it unless it's a little bit cold, which it is right now. Um, lately, I've had trouble writing and I am left-handed, so I'm going to have to switch. I'm working on that. Um, and I've been to, over the past four years, tons of neurologists and had lots of MRIs, EMGs. Uh, I've had hand surgery. I did six months of a, they thought maybe it was an autoimmune thing, and so um, I did six months of this infusion 
where I went every three weeks in, for this infusion, and it cost $20,000 every three weeks. I did that for six months, and they were like, yeah, that, that wasn't it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank goodness I have insurance. Uh, and they just haven't been able to figure, figure it out. I mean, talk about feeling like your body is kind of working against you. I feel like this thing's trying to kill me sometimes. And it, it's been a lot. And I'm, I think I mentioned this a couple years ago when I was talking about it, that the diagnosis that always gets brought up is ALS. That's what they always are kind of looking for, because once that starts, is it going to affect more? And, and it's likely not that. I had one doctor, I said, so you don't think that's what it is? After he does the test, I know what they're doing. And he said, and I kind of appreciated his bluntness, he goes, no, if it was that, you'd be dead already. I'm like, well, I think that's good. I mean, I, I think. <laughs> um, anyway, all that to say, I, I, I did get referred this week, this past Friday, I got referred to Mayo Clinic. I'll be going here in a couple weeks, actually, in March. But even the woman on the phone, she's like scheduling me and walking me through this stuff, and she's looking at my neurologist referral, and even she has to say something about such and such being... It's, being, it's for your ALS. And I was like, why do people have to keep saying that? Um, so this is something that I, I'm just saying, I kind of am in this and have been in this for a while. Lent is an invitation to come to terms with our humanness, with our fragility. And until some of this stuff happened to me, I never thought about life uh, or my body, my health in that way. According to Paul, the one part of the Christian life not being renewed in this life, the one part that's not renewed in this life is actually our physical body. The mind, yes. The will, the heart, the emotions, the spirit, all the inner self is in the process of being renewed, is already or is being renewed. But the body must await resurrection. Our own personal Easter experience. That's why Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Even if by some miracle in this life, God restores us after an accident, or a severe illness, even if we get the healing that we pray for, we're still going to die. Our body is still terminal unless Jesus returns before we die. We're slowly wasting away. I was talking to my counselor this week, and I hope, I think everybody can handle this. I'm just praying, I'm talking about how I've been praying, and it's like I've kind of gotten a little bit cynical because I've had people pray, I've prayed, I've done all the prayer things and all this stuff. And it's like, I told my counselor, I was like, it's kind of unfair because you go to God and you, and you pray and it doesn't happen. And it's like, well, you need to keep praying. Okay, well, then you keep praying and it doesn't happen. And it's like, well, maybe God's trying to teach you something. And then you realize, I think I've learned all I can learn in this situation. And then it's like, well, you're going to be healed in heaven. And then it's like you keep praying, and then it's like, well, prayer doesn't change God. It's supposed to change you. I was like, it's a little bit unfair. It feels like God has, always has the ace up his sleeve. Like, that's convenient, isn't it? 
and he listened to me, and he validated me, and just like you all would do, and didn't freak out, because I was like, I know, I'm just, I'm not like losing my faith or anything, I'm just saying it's irritating. Um, and he said, could I invite you to do something? Could I invite you to take that cynicism and that little bit of edge that you feel, and could I invite you to see that as an opportunity to enter a little more deeply into your grief? That that's actually, and as soon as he said it, I was like, yep, I know, mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. Our, the appropriate response, the ultimate response is to offer our grief to God, to give God our frustration and our disappointments, to grieve, God, I grieve that I'm not as young as I once was and can't do the things I used to do. That's sad. God, I, I grieve that my quality of life on a daily basis is diminished somehow. In talking to him further about it, um, he said, there, and I just share this in case it's helpful if you have an ongoing health issue. He said there's something in the counseling world called complex grief, and it often applies to these bigger health issues. Um, and he went on to explain that with some types of grief, say the, the loss of a loved one or the grief of a divorce, it's not that those kinds of griefs are simple. They're, they're not simple. They're not easy, of course. And, and all that you got to walk through. But with some type of grief, grief there's finality. Like I know the marriage is not going to be saved. It's like I don't have to wonder about that, right? And so you can kind of figure out how do I then respond or how do I move on or whatever. But a lot of times with our health, with these kinds of issues, it's like I don't know where the bottom is. I don't know where this elevator stops. And that can bring a whole host of anxieties and fears, and that's why it's called, it's called complex grief and makes it particularly hard to deal with. So I share that in case that's helpful because um, it was for me to put words to some of this stuff. Outwardly, we are wasting away, but he doesn't stop there. We do not lose heart. Why? Because he says, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And again, I'll just say, I don't want to be renewed inwardly. I want my body to work right. Um, or, you know, you're here and you're going, I don't want to be in pain or whatever. But there is in this an invitation in our weakness, in our frailty, to depend more on God. And I know that's like a churchy answer at times, but I can think of no other way. Um, I can't think of a way to move forward without landing ultimately on that. I do find that it is interesting how our physical illness, our pain, our difficulties, our aches and pains, one of the things they do is, speaking of where do we need to be renewed internally, one of the things that those sicknesses do is it kind of shows us maybe we're not as mature spiritually as we imagine ourselves to be. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren has this great way of saying it. She says, our illusions of piety can be undone with one toothache. <laughs> yeah. When our bodies give way, our wills do too. If habits of virtue, compassion, kindness, gentleness haven't worked their way into us, if they haven't seeped into our very disposition, sickness exposes how far we have to grow. When I feel sluggish 
or exhausted or feverish. I snap at my kids. I fall easily into despair. I throw bitter pity parties. I care very little about others. A lot of what appears as kindness or patience or holiness in my life is fueled by good health, energy, and simple pleasures. When these are taken away, it's clear that I am not kind or patient after all. I just didn't have back pain. But again, even with the big stuff, it's an invitation to deepen our dependence on God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, after experiencing some type of suffering and apparently things about to fall apart on him, he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. In a sense, that's true of all of us. We come into this world with a death sentence. We ultimately can't rely on ourselves. Or when he talks about the thorn in his flesh, likely a physical ailment that God won't take away, and God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So I'm trying to grow in seeing this as an invitation to deepen my dependence, even when I don't understand even when I have questions. The biblical view of our, our physical bodies, our health, is that as we get older, as things decline, as we get sick, that at the same time, God is constantly doing something new in us. The word new here, when he says this, renewed, it's not the word for the latest, greatest temporary fad or thing that you've seen a thousand times and you know is going to be gone tomorrow. No, this newness is God's activity. This newness lasts forever. It's, it's newness that only gets newer, that never fades. It's, it's God's life, his energy, his hope, his vitality. The other option here is to get cynical. That's really the other choice that we have, to give into despair, to give up, to go ahead and deteriorate spiritually and emotionally. Since we're deteriorating physically, might as well do it all. To concede, yeah, I guess my time here, it's kind of done, and my only option is to get older and older and eventually die, and everyone comes and eats ham sandwiches in the church basement. <laughs> Paul says, I'm not going to do that. The message translation, we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. I want to remind us this morning as we begin these 40 days, or we're a few days into it, that our bodies, for all the weakness, for all the frailty, how we care for our bodies at the same time directly affects how we follow Jesus. It's the only place that you have in which to meet God. It's the place God meets us. We meet him. We actually can't separate the spiritual from the physical. It affects how we follow Jesus. Have you noticed many times it's when we're tired 
that we're more likely to give in to temptation. Because the physical and spiritual go together. Or where do you feel anxiety? Like the pit of your stomach. Or your heart starts racing. Where do you feel peace? My breathing slows down. My heart rate slows. These things are, they actually go together. We're embodied spirits. And so we're invited to cooperate with God in caring for our bodies. Our bodies are the place where we meet other people. We meet others. We show up. And yeah, I want to have, I want to have energy to show up and to be present. Well, that means I got to take care of myself. Look, if me stretching, if me stretching right now on a regular basis will determine my ability, will determine at some point with my grandkids whether I'm watching or joining, maybe I ought to do that. It influences how we meet others. It certainly influences how we fulfill God's purpose. Paul says at one point when he's wondering if he's going to live or die because he's in prison, he says, if I am to go on living in the body... The good news is this will mean fruitful labor. I can do more of what God's given me to do. And so I just want to encourage us this morning to do what we can. Very simple. Do what we can and leave the rest to God. I I say that because I often do the exact opposite. I stress out over things that I can't control and then I neglect to do what is in my control. That's the, that would be called the exact opposite of do what you can and leave the rest to God. One of the things that I've found that's been helpful for me is just to admit there is no, I'm never going to achieve perfection. Never going to achieve perfection in this. And again, you, you kind of get sold that sometimes, like this is the perfect thing or system or formula. I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, and so... My goal is not perfection, it's like to get, how about better? How about what can you do? And some days it's like, I guess I could drink a little more water. I can do that. I'm not going to work out. I don't feel like it. But I could drink some water. Okay, I can do that. And that's just the game that I play every single day. What can I do? And how can I be a little bit better? I'm going to walk with my walking shoes. Yes, our bodies are imperfect, temporary jars of clay. They're also amazing gifts that we take for granted. Think about, I just told you all the things I have wrong with me or some of them. Think about all the things, all the times that you've been sick or you had an infection, you've had a broken bone and you got 100% better. Body took care of it. The million little miracles going on every day that we don't notice. I mean, how many other things in life do you use, like your body, and you're that hard on that you can reasonably expect to last you 80, 90 years? I can't think of anything. I want to close with a quote and a prayer. And this quote is super long, so sorry for being like, sit here while I read a book. But just try to take this in, because it's it's more of Tish uh, Warren. It's so good. Human bodies... Are glorious. The fact that our joints stay for the most part well oiled and our lungs keep breathing decade after decade, for some of us way past warranty, 
is a wonder, a commonplace miracle. The human body is more spectacular and intricate than anything else in the world, but we almost never notice it. We take it for granted until it doesn't work. Only then do we glimpse the kind of abundant mercy found in an ordinary week with a functioning body. Many of us, not all, have known moments when our bodies work just as they should. We've tasted the ocean on our lips, known the rapture of a perfectly ripe peach, felt the happy soreness of summiting a mountain. Sickness, both slight and serious, is a diminishment of the glory for which we are made. The lush flavor of life replaced by the stale fluorescence of a hospital room or the dimness of a bleary day in bed. We also remember the glory for which we are made. We recall that health is a gift. It cannot be earned. It will not be constant. Any wellness we have will eventually give way. But we receive our bodies day by day with gratitude. In them we taste the fall, that things are broken and not yet made new. But our bodies will be made eternal. They will rise from the dust in fleshly solidity, their glory permanently undiminished. So we also taste the promise of heaven in the goodness of our bodies. In this meantime, right now, our flesh and blood is suspended between our defeat and our rescue between fall and resurrection. In this tension, in this meantime, we practice gratitude. God, thank you for what I do have. Thank you for what my body can do. It's a gift. And then we do what we can to take care of our bodies. I'm not gonna tell you what that is because you probably already know. I would suggest starting with what your doctor told you to do that you're not doing. Uh, speaking to myself, right? Start there. That's a good idea. Um, we practice gratitude, and we do what we can to care for our bodies, which are a gift. Uh, Lisa has included in our Lent guide, which, again, is meant to be supplemental to, to these messages these next several weeks. Um, we're including in each week a breath prayer. And if you don't know what that is, it's just it's like a silent prayer that you pray a few words as you inhale in your heart and your mind, and then as you exhale, you pray a few more words or a sentence. And so I just want to leave you with this prayer and encourage you to pray this maybe throughout this week to begin your day um, first thing in the morning or throughout the day at, at different times, but encourage you to make use of this. The breath prayer goes like this. As you breathe in, on the inhale, you pray, my body is a gift. And then as you breathe out, the prayer is, help me, God, to take care of it. And we kept this pur pur purposefully simple. We wanted it to be simple enough for a, a kid to be able to use and to follow. My body is a gift. Help me, God, to take care of it. I'm going to pray here uh, in just a second. The last thing I want to mention is, and we did this during our uh, emotional health series, uh, but really starting today, we want to just regularly offer prayer for people in our church um, who need it 
after the service, most of the time is how we'll do this. And so we just think, hey, this is a church, and this should be a place where if you have a need or a concern in your life, it could be a physical thing, it could be something else going on, and you would like to receive prayer, you ought to be able to do that when you come to church. And so we'll explain this or remind you each week, but uh, beginning today, at the end here as you're dismissed, there'll be folks up on each corner. There'll be a little lighted table uh, and lamp area just to designate the spot and to know this is where that's happening. And you're invited to come forward, and we have some leaders who would love to pray with you or just to be with you uh, with a need that you have uh, in your life. So would you stand with me, and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the gift of our bodies. It's something that we so often take for granted until uh, something goes wrong, something doesn't work right. Um, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are facing health concerns, issues, where there's a, a question, a diagnosis, an uncertainty, Lord, that you would be at work in that situation. God, we know that you can and that you do at times uh, choose to bring healing. And I ask that for my friends. I ask for relief. I ask for wholeness. God, help us to be good stewards of the bodies that you've given us and to do what we can to take care of them. May we love others well and love you well through them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Please come forward if you'd like to receive prayer.